and welcome to Two Props in a Pod. I'm Tanisha. I'm Beth. And we are faculty from Glendale Community College in Arizona. And we are so excited for our topic on today, which is assessment. More specifically, assessment online and alternative forms of assessment. So for our topic today, we are going to be discussing assessment, but we also have some guests who are going to be helping us with our conversation on today. So Beth, could you introduce who we have joining us on the podcast today? Yes, with us today, we have Christina Clark, chemistry faculty, and Julie Morrison, psychology faculty at GCC. Christina has been teaching chemistry at GCC since 2005. This year is her eighth year as residential faculty member in the chemistry department. She serves as a department course coordinator, the fire and par facilitator, and is a chemistry department representative on the e-courses committee. She started teaching online chemistry courses last summer when COVID shifted our course modalities. And Julie has been a psychology professor for 20 years, GCC's Director of Student Learning Assessment for four years, a department chair for three years, and an online instructor for just over one semester. She's excited to be teaching online, not just for the professional development, but also for the flexibility it provides given the demands of her assessment and chair roles. Great to have you. Julie visited with us in 2019 about assessment and we had a great uh, talk that day and we will link to that assessment episode. And Julie, I will tell you that my brother loves the GEAR acronym that you came up with and um, wants to somehow use the inspiration uh, of that acronym to come up for, for with something that he can use in his own district. So thank That's you. Great. I'm so glad to hear that. And just for anyone who's interested, our GEAR acronym here at GCC is that we get our assess in GEAR. And GEAR is students come to us with a goal. They learn through engagement in our co-curricular and student affairs programs. They learn through academics in their coursework and academic programs, and they hopefully can showcase all of their learning on their resume by the time they leave. It is a pretty cool acronym. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) That's awesome. Thank you so much for well, I would say even telling us about gear and reminding some of us about the acronym, even though we should on our campus know the acronym already. <laughs> yes, hopefully everybody does know. Yes, absolutely. So um, today uh, we're going to talk about assessment and online teaching in particular because we have many more online classes than we did prior to the pandemic. We have a lot of teachers teaching online for the first time. We also realize assessing in online classes might look a little bit different than in face-to-face classes. And we really want to learn more about assessment online. So we have Christina and Julie here with us uh, because we thought they would definitely be great for this conversation. Uh, Christina has a background in STEM um, and is fairly new to online uh, when it comes to working in an online environment. And we also have Julie because we, well, she's our expert assessment person, if anything. <laughs> she knows all things assessment. Uh, but Julie, for the most part, is new to online. But uh, from what I understand, the department isn't. Uh, they've had instructors teaching online um, in some online classes for, um, for a while now. But Julie, for the most part, is new. So we thought that they would be great for having this conversation on today. 
so first things first, we're going to jump into um, our questions as usual. So Beth is going to go ahead and start with our first one. So, and, and just, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, Christina, right? Like how, how you had to set up your first course. And so I was wondering as somebody fairly new to online and not having a whole lot of time to, to really prepare, you know, how, how have you included assessments into your online chemistry classes and maybe what are those classes? And then what were you thinking as you designed the assessments? What were you trying to get out of them? Well, yeah, great question. Um, In a normal pre-COVID semester, I already knew that some students were using the internet and certain websites that we won't name right now to obtain answers for their work, right? So I already had on my radar uh, that I needed to find ways to improve my assignments and create just really good authentic learning experiences that tie in real world examples with the lessons and concepts we're learning. So when COVID hit and we had to move online, which chemistry traditionally wasn't online, um, we were very much against it. We wanted our students to be in person so we can really um, help them learn the math and the science behind our concepts. So we needed to pivot our lessons online. I know I had, had to come up with something unique and different that can assess what they're learning, what they're actually learning, and it couldn't be Googled. So I also wanna make sure that the multiple choice exams and quizzes were not super high stakes assessments for my classes because that's when a student has that anxiety or pressure that they might feel that they would have to go and seek external help from some of those tutoring websites. So things I did, um, I have an asynchronous class. All of my lectures are asynchronous and my lab is also asynchronous. Um, So I did cahoots. I would have them do an asynchronous cahoot lesson. So I had a bunch of questions on it and they would answer it. And that's not one that would be tied into the gradebook necessarily. Instead, I had to have them do a video reflection. So they had to record a quick one minute video, just talking about specifics of that lesson, whether or not they did well and what they have to go back and kind of go learn more about because they didn't do so well on it. And um, it was great because that gave me a chance to see their faces. I really enjoyed that being asynchronous online. I I was going to really miss that student interaction. And so having a video reflection from them, I could see who they are. I got to see their personalities. And then I also got an idea of what they were understanding or maybe not understanding in the class. I've, I've heard that video part from a lot of other instructors who are new to online or not even new to online, but they're using, you know, Flipgrid and really enjoying that extra interaction. Yeah, it only benefits, I think, the instructors because I, I don't have it set up where other students can see each other's work. I know with Flipgrid, you can. So that would be good for a class where you can create that community. I also had them watch some video lessons um, and they had to do a three, two, one takeaway. So three questions um, or three things that they learned from watching the video, two examples or ideas of how that information can be used in the real world. And then maybe one question they still might have. So it's a three, two, one takeaway. And that's just a formative way to see what they're coming from with the video. And also it makes sure that they're kind of paying attention to that video, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when they watch my pre-recorded lectures, I have them take guided notes. So they have kind of a rough draft of what the notes I think should look like. Um, And then they have to fill in the blanks and answer extra questions. And I do grade those and I give them hints on note-taking skills. I think that's a skill that they need to learn in real life. And then also I can see where my videos may not be clear. So maybe everyone's answering a question incorrectly so I can go back and add more examples in on that topic or concept. 
Genially is another one I really like. Uh, it takes a lot of work to put into it and you have to learn it. There's a strong learning curve on that one. <laughs> but what I did, I like the Solve the Mysteries. And I used all the free ones. I didn't have a paid account. Um, and one of them was a Solve a Mystery activity where they have to go around the world and answer some questions because chemistry involves a lot of math. And so they have to answer a lot of math questions. And then as they answer the questions, they get a number sequence to open up a safe. So once they crack that code and open the safe, there's instructions in there on how to get points for the activity. So they usually have to submit their work and the code into a, a campus assignment. That's pretty cool. It, it reminds me of like an escape room sort of. Yeah. Right. If they're getting kind of some clues. Yeah, definitely. And then it gives them that, that uh, a fun way to learn how to work through the problems. And then I still have to see their work and, and have some um, feedback on that for them too. One way that's kind of fun to see, and maybe you could do this in a discussion, or you can also do it on your on its own, is give students a word problem or a math problem with sample incorrect answers that fake students may have put in there, and then ask them to come up with a rubric on how to grade that assignment, and then have them grade the different fake student answers. That way, they can kind of see where you're coming from as an instructor and looking at the work, and maybe you could um, on themselves improve how they answer their own questions in the long term. Would you ever do that as a quiz? I have not. Um, I mean, you probably could. I would say, um, I don't know. That's a good question. Well, I mean, I guess it is a little bit of a formative assessment as it is. Yeah, and if they're doing it in groups, they can, and you give each, so maybe you put them into groups of four and then you give each group a different set of questions. So they're not all getting the same thing. And then maybe you can have at the end, have them show each other's answers, or you can have them come up with their own questions and have each other grade the questions. So that could possibly be a graded activity as well. I like projects because projects are coming from them. They're, they're creating. And as we create, we learn, I think. And so I like to have them create something, whether it's a video presentation or an infographic or study aid. Um, one chapter that I do a project on is nuclear chemistry. It, they're coming right out of a chapter where they learned all the math to learn how to do nuclear chemistry. So really they have to focus on concepts and applications. So they have to pick something that they're passionate about in life. So maybe it's animals or medicine, and they have to tie that into a real world example of nuclear chemistry and then create a presentation and do some research on how their passion is related to nuclear chemistry. It's important to have lots of stopping points and many lessons along the way so that they actually are learning the material. So I have a lot of three, two, one activities. I have um, worksheets that they work on. And then I also have peer feedback. So they do a gallery walk online. They actually do. They use a, a program where they can post the project um, outline and then they get feedback from fellow classmates. Okay. And I had asked you before, how did you know to do all of this? I didn't at first because I've never done online. Um, I did, I was part of Reimagine and I was doing project-based learning. So I was kind of doing that in my class already. So I had to figure out a way to make that work online. So I had some of the ideas from that. And then, um, I don't know, I took obviously the CTLE wonderful classes that they have that had to prepare to be online instructor. And I took another STEM online class over the summer on how to put your your um, assignments online in a STEM type of classroom. So I got a lot of ideas. So just talking to peers and asking questions, what other people do, I just came up with a lot of these ideas. I don't learn really fast though, because I had my first class was last summer. So I had to learn really fast for, by mm -hmm. May of last summer to how to put this stuff online. Okay, so 
Tanisha, I think you worked on Reimagine. Can you tell us a little bit about just real quickly what that is for our listeners who aren't familiar with it? Yeah, absolutely. The Reimagine Project is all about um, focusing on faculty and um, cultivating this environment of where faculty can come and learn about high impact practices for their classroom and then implementing that into their classroom. So there are leads who help to kind of facilitate this process for our faculty members. Um, some of the high impact practices that the leads focus on, like myself, like I focus on problem-based learning, Christina focuses on project-based learning and the faculty um, the, the faculty co- cohorts actually focus on these different areas um, to help to implement um, excellent practices in our classrooms. That's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, very well mm-hmm. said. Thank you, Tanisha. Um, so when you do projects, they don't have to be big chapter projects. They can be small little projects. I know there's difficult concepts in some of the chemistry courses I teach. And so if I want students to create maybe an infographic or study guide and really think about a concept that is important um, for us, one of them is quantum numbers. And so that's another way you can have them do a, a mini project is create a study guide or infographic about that project. And so some great um, websites are Canava, um, Vengage, a lot of different ones that you can use for those infographics or even just a PowerPoint or something as well. And another one last idea is maybe video definitions, have them videotape a definition. So have them describe a concept, a math problem or definition. Um, And so that way, by them speaking it and thinking about what they're going to say and have it be a recorded message, they will learn it. They will absolutely commit it to memory. And they want to make sure they know it well enough to say it out loud in front of their instructor or even in front of their peers if you have it on a group discussion board. They're going to make sure that they know it well enough so that um, they can say it eloquently. And for an alternative idea, if they don't want to videotape themselves, they can type it up and upload an image of themselves. Those are just some ideas of things I've done this past couple semesters. Mm-hmm. That was almost a little bit like a pair share, right? At, at the end of a face-to-face class. Absolutely. I like how you're like, that's just, just a few ideas. <laughs> <laughs> some no. ideas that I have. <laughs> like, these are probably madly <laughs> writing these down. I know. <laughs> you gave us lots of different things. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. We're going to have a long list of show notes after this one. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So thank you so much. That's, that's so much to, to learn. And the fact that you've been able to implement that into your classes so quickly is really awesome. So thank you. Thank you. All right. So, uh, Julie, your department has had online classes, but you are a little new to online yourself. So from an assessment angle, what are some tips you would offer to instructors who are designing online classes for the first time? Uh, Well, thank you, Tanisha. Uh, Honestly, I could scrap everything I'm about to say and say my tip is to go talk to Christina after all the (laughs) wonderful things she shared. Uh, But I will go ahead and and share some of the things that I came up with. So, yes, I am definitely new to online teaching. I have one semester under my belt. Luckily, I'm in a department where probably half of our faculty have been teaching online for years. And most of what, honestly, I learned about online course development happened this summer when, just like everybody else, we had to develop an online course. And the challenge in our department was we had about 20 faculty, both adjuncts and full-time folks who had never taught online, myself being one of them. And we needed 
these faculty to be able to teach Psych 101. So luckily on our faculty, we have an educational psychologist, Mary Ann Duggan, who has a lot of experience teaching online. And she guided our department through developing a brand new online psych course. We basically crowdsourced it. We had 14 different full and part-time faculty each teach a module of the course. So now students kind of get a guest lectured version of the course where they get to see all these different faculty teach over the course of the semester. And we gave us the flexibility for our faculty to really dive into the administration of the course, guiding students, supporting students, doing all the grading and the feedback without having to generate the course materials. Because like anyone who's taught online knows, and I know more than I ever realized, online course development is uh, very challenging and takes a great deal of time. But anyway, let's, I'll, I'll share just four things that I noticed during this process. And these are applicable to you know, the, the regular face-to-face -face space of teaching, but I think some of them have, we need to think a little bit more, a little differently in the online space. So the first one is, uh, if your CTLE, like ours, has an online course template, you should use it because those are brilliant people who know what they're doing and often we think about assessment as measuring student learning. And while obviously that's true, it can't happen effectively without following best practices in course design. So definitely use what people are telling you about how to design a course. And in our case, our CTLE has done that with this remarkable course template. My second tip is to spend time and actually a lot of time writing learning outcomes. So this I would consider to be the most important part of any module because all of your instruction and all of your assessment should be aligned to those outcomes. And this is what Marianne in our department had us do. She's like, write the outcomes and then design your instructional materials, then design your assignments. So every video in our course directly relates to a learning outcome from the module. And if you don't know how to write a good learning outcome, come to the assessment team. We are happy to help you. I will admit that if you look at my learning outcomes from a few years ago, everything is like know this and understand that. And those are two words you should never use in an effective learning outcome. Hey, Julie. Oh, yeah. Do you have a video on how to write an effective learning outcome in one of those series of videos you have? That's really good. We don't actually right now, we are working on our Canvas training course. Uh, Kristen Pample and Karen Bird, our assessment developers, are putting that together. That'll be part of that piece. Right now, Megan Kennedy in the CTLE does do a course on how to write effective learning outcomes. But yeah, that's a great idea. We should add you know, one of our, a, a video on that just on our assessment site that would help people with that. And we're going to link to all of those videos that you currently have there. Yes, there's, I, I do like making videos <laughs> and podcasts, of course, since we're here on <laughs> <Yeah>. this podcast. <laughs> All right. The third thing I would say is hold students accountable for their learning through both formative and summative assessment. We heard great examples of how Christina does this in her class. And, you know, if you want the students to read the textbook, if you want them to watch the videos, you need to make sure you have assignments that ensure that outcome. Otherwise, students can skip over some of that part, which is really where they're getting the instruction in an online class in order to, you know, just get to the assignments. So I'm thinking about the guided notes that Christina does is 
a great example of you know that ensures students are reading that textbook. You know, maybe there's an activity related to the content of videos. So that's one of the things as I in my chair role have, you know, as I've reviewed faculty online courses, I've given a lot of suggestions, like just, you know, like, how do you know you're doing this? And part of that's because when we put our course shell together for Psych 101, I met with Beth and I said, what do you think of this? And she's like, how do you know your students are watching all these wonderful videos you made? And I'm like, oh, right. We need to, we need to work on some of that. And then the last one that I have is to construct assessments directly aligned to those learning outcomes. So, you know, we often, we often know why we're giving students assignments, but if we aren't explaining that rationale to students, then we're failing them in, in some way. We should be very, you know, direct with them saying, I want you to do this because it helps you do this, or this assignment's going to help you learn that. We don't want to have what I've heard of as a, because I told you so assignments or policies in our classes. So it's, I think, really important to start every assessment with why students are completing it and why it's benefiting them. And then additionally, if you can actually directly link that assessment to a particular learning outcome, that's even better. So those are my additional tips for what you all can do if you're designing courses and hopefully kind of adds to what we heard from Christina as well. Those are really great tips. And especially that last one about alignment is really, really important. And yeah, I think all of these tips are great for people who are designing for the first time. Yeah. And when you're designing for the first time, you can kind of start from scratch. Like if I think about going back to my face-to-face class, it would, you know, if I have to change everything and kind of update everything, that's maybe a little bit more work. Uh, And obviously work I should be doing to make sure I'm doing these things in my face-to-face class. But when you're kind of starting from scratch, I think it's easier to try to think through these things. And if you can do it right, then it's just part of your process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Christina, what is something you wish you knew before implementing online assessment? Um, and, And what is something you've learned after implementing online assessment? Maybe so that's the same question. Yeah, it's a great question. And it kind of ties into what Julie was just saying is it just takes so much time to develop these alternative assessments. And you want to make sure they make sense to the student with clear instructions and expectations of how they will actually align with the course learning outcomes and the course competencies. There's so many intricate layers to creating some of these alternative assessments for online learners. For example, if I wanted to assess a course competency, I want to make sure the activity that I'm designing in an online class will match the degree of importance for that competency. I don't want a student spending two to three hours in a day to create something, an infographic or a video, but it doesn't even meet an important course competency and, or it may not be something I would have traditionally tested them on. So I want to make sure that I I'm creating assignments that are meaningful, maybe have many layers to them so they can have different areas that are, they're being assessed on, but also that aligns with what Julie was saying with your, your course learning outcomes. But you also want to make sure that you thought of everything because you don't know what the students don't know how to do until you start having them turn these in. And so if they don't know how to make a video or don't know how to upload a, a video to YouTube, you need to have those instructions in there on how to do that. So you have to think about what would the student do? <laughs> what does the student know? So you have to make sure you've thought of every little thing when you're designing these um, assignments. So that's something is so much time, so much time goes into it, but it's worth it. It's rewarding afterwards when you see the projects they've come up with. It is really exciting to see some of the video presentations that I've seen come from them from projects. And then one thing that I've learned, that was your second question, right? 
Um, it's my time management skills. My goodness, if you're going to create all these assignments, you want to spend the time giving them feedback on it because I think that's respectful on both parts, my part and their part. They put so much work into it. I want to give them meaningful feedback on that. Um, so especially with the projects, when I have my students do projects, I want to make sure they have several opportunities to submit rough drafts so they can get feedback from myself and their peers so they know they're on the right track. So then in the end, when they, they do turn in that, that project, they've gotten so much feedback along the way that it, it's a good project. Oh, another thing I want to say about that also is I've learned to not put high stakes on the multiple choice tests. Instead, I put my high stakes points and my percentage points on projects because those are the things they are creating and they're putting so much time into. I make them worth 30% of their total grade. Hmm. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I, I, I like that you're thinking about the feedback aspect too. I'm going to throw a, a question at you, Christina. Okay. So prepare. Um, you talked about having students make videos for you. Do you ever make your feedback in the form of a video to them? I, yes and no. So I don't do feedback videos for each person within Canvas. Instead, well, if I see a commonality within a lot of things students have done or have not done on an assignment, I'll create one that I think the whole class will understand and, and can benefit beneficial for all them all. So they're getting videos from me probably once or twice a week in Canvas, whether they like it or not. <laughs> but yeah, I do put it in announcements because I figured that if one or two people in my class or students in my class are, are having struggling on one thing or one concept, then maybe everyone will benefit from them. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christine, you said something that was really important. I heard you say creating things that are meaningful. Yeah. And things that have layers and things that align. And so I think sometimes in our minds as instructors, we think, oh, well, this will be fun. This will be exciting and the students will enjoy it. But then we have to really reflect back and think, does it have meaning? Does it have layers? And does it align with um, our competencies and learning outcomes? Which I think is something to kind of remember and not forget. Because I think we live in our heads times and we think it'll turn out a certain way. But at the end of the day, it could, it could be a different experience for the students themselves. So I'm really glad you, you mentioned that meaningful, that there are layers in that it's also um, aligned. Yeah, absolutely. So with the course notes that I talked about where I give them an outline of notes and they have to fill them in, even though I'm grading them and giving them feedback on them, I'm also allowing them to use them when they take an exam because I know how much time is going into them creating those notes and answering the questions because I put problems in there for them to answer and work through that I allow them to use those notes because they put so much time into it. So then they have more buy-in into that, that assignment. All right. So that brings us to um, a question for Julie. So Julie, what do you think are some missteps or pitfalls that instructors should avoid when using online assessment in their courses? I think you're going to hear a lot of the same themes that we've been talking about throughout this, and I'm going to be echoing a bunch of what we just heard Christina talk about, but I have a few pitfalls to talk about here. The first one is not teaching students how to learn. So, you know, Christina mentioned providing all this feedback, and and my first thought, and this happened to me last semester, I'm writing all this feedback to students, I'm thinking, are students even reading this feedback? Because we're pouring hours and hours into it, and that is our best way in an online environment to support student learning, but if they're not reading, it's not going to help. 
So what I ended up doing this semester is I pushed my entire course content back by a week and I created what I called my student success week module. And I structured it exactly like all of our content modules, but every assignment was about them learning how to learn. So for example, I gave one assignment where they had to read the assignment instructions and find secret words embedded in them. So I knew they read all the instructions. They had to go into their grade book where I had graded them on a fake rubric and tell me what the rubric scores were. So I knew they could check a rubric. Then they had to write me an assignment comment to which I would respond. And then they had to acknowledge that response. So these are all the things I want them doing throughout the semester. And so I taught them in that first week how to do that. Now, as an assessment person, I really should be able to assess whether it's working. I am still trying to figure out exactly how to do that, but sort of informally, I've definitely felt like my students are engaging with those assignment comments and hopefully with the rubrics more. But I also have videos on you know, how to access that in the Canvas gradebook because there's so many wonderful tools that we just need to show students how to use. And I teach introduction to psychology. So often we have students who are first semester or certainly first year to college and they may not know these things. So Think about how to teach students how to learn, which is, again, something that we heard from Christina as well. I love this idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was thrilled by it when like it popped into my head and I spent way too many hours building this module, but I love it. So I'm I'm excited to see, you know, if I really feel like my students have do better this semester than they did last semester. Uh, The second thing I would say, the second pitfall is not having easy to follow rubrics. And that is both for the student and the instructor. Now, first of all, I'm assuming that many of us are using rubrics. And if you are not using rubrics, you should be using rubrics, you know, certainly where they're applicable. They should directly align to your assignment requirements. They should be described in your assignment instructions, because the more clear we are on what we expect students to do an assignment, the easier they can fulfill that. And then our job as graders is a lot easier. So one of the things I struggled with in this course shell that we designed for Psych 101 is that every different instructor wrote their own rubric. So although there were commonalities, it, you know, they, they differed a little bit. I'm like, oh, is this a 10? Is this like a five? You know, how many points should I give? So the other thing I spent way too much time doing and am still doing this semester is I have changed every rubric in my entire course to the same structure. They are basically three-point rubrics. Um, and I label them with, with encouraging labels. So three points is you've got this. Two is you're on your way. One is ask for help. And then technically there's a zero, don't forget. And because there are three points that I can award with each of these items, I tell students exactly what they need to do for every one of those points. And then it makes my grading super easy because now I'm not debating, is it a seven, is it eight, is it a six? I'm just like, they did it, they didn't do it. And it's really easy to give feedback to them. And then you know, I score them on the rubric and I put an assignment comment in and I say, like, you didn't do this one thing, make sure to do this one thing. And because these rubrics have a consistent flavor, students are kind of used to them And they, you know, I feel like they are able to follow it more easily when the rubric is not kind of changing from assignment to assignment. The other thing or the third thing that I would mention, and this again has come up throughout this, about the time that we've been having this conversation, is sometimes I think instructors don't thoughtfully consider both their formative and summative assessment. 
And so we heard wonderful ideas from Christina about how to do formative assessment. So in the face-to-face classroom, I'm looking at their faces, they're asking questions, maybe there's a discussion, maybe there's a problem that they're working on in groups. And we don't have that in the online space. So really doing these low stakes formative assessments where we can see where students are at, what are they getting, what are they not getting, that can kind of provide us feedback so that hopefully we can make an extra video or we can do an announcement or we can at least learn for next time, I think is valuable. But then obviously that's got to be coupled with the summative assessment. And I think sometimes if the summative assessments are too high stakes or too rigid, that can be worrisome for students. And Christina even mentioned this. She's like, you know, if, if it's a really big high stakes assessment, they might want to go out there and Google those answers. So what I'm just going to kind of formally say is exactly what Christina shared, which is a, is providing some flexibility for students in the assessments. You know, give them a project, but give them a few different options. You know, they can turn it, you know, they can do the infographic, they can do a podcast, they can do, you know, a slide presentation, or, you know, they can choose what their topic is. You know, we talk about this as being authentic assessment, things that are more related. It'll, it's, it actually increases equity when students can choose to demonstrate learning in their own way, as opposed to being necessarily as prescribed. And obviously faculty can still put boundaries around that learning. So it's not like a total free for all. And so one of the things I would, you know, and I realize these things can take more time to grade, but again, if you have a really good rubric, it it may not take as much time, but really having students do writing, you know, doing things where they're not just responding to multiple choice items, where they have to, you know, be giving of themselves to be putting things in their own words, I think is the best thing to do. And having a combination of both formative and summative assessments. So as Christina mentioned, she spent a lot of time thinking through all of this. And I think that's where the challenge is in any teaching that we do, that we have to spend a great deal of time really thinking about what is going to get our students to that place of learning that we want them to be. And, you know, Christina did a fabulous job putting this all together on her own, like the the, Psych 101, like we all, like I said, we crowdsourced it. So I think it's important for faculty to realize that they can do this incrementally and they can make changes as they they go um, and just think about like, you know, what's the next step? You know, how can I add a guided notes assignment? How can I add you know, something else, a reflection piece, an application piece as, you know, I develop my course. Yeah, I think if if we all went back to the first iteration of our online courses, right, we, we other than Christina's, right, <laughs> we made a lot of assumptions. I, I know I did, right, because I just assumed, oh, all my students are going to watch my videos, right, because really, I was designing the class for myself as a student, and I, right. I, I, I would watch the videos, um, you know, but we have to really, it's, it's a real mind shift, right, um, mm-hmm. when we're designing for online. And I have to say, Julie, creating those rubrics, that's a huge part of that layer I was talking about that you must have and put in there. And once you've created one, for example, for the Kahoot um, reflective pieces, every class that I ever do a Kahoot reflective piece, I already have it created. It's already there. So I just have to copy and paste that rubric over. I don't have to recreate it. So you can create ones that are specific pieces for certain types of assignments. And then you just have it at all times. And then once you're going through grading, it makes it so much faster. It makes it consistent. So every student's getting graded fairly. 
And a little tip I have for y'all is um, for feedback is use a Chrome plugin. There's one called Auto Text Expander. So you can put in little keywords and it automatically puts a feedback statement. So if there's common feedback statements you have, like for me would be check your significant figures when you're doing your math. Um, I could just have one little or two little words like sig figs and it'll autoly, automatically put that text in there for my feedback. So that's, that's a great idea because I just have mine like in a separate document where so I can copy and paste things in. But that's an even easier one. And yeah, I mean, in, in my class, like if you are doing a reflection assignment, I, I do this reflection assignment. It's called RSVP. They reflect, they summarize, they define a vocabulary word. Then if they have any questions, they ask a question, they pose a question, that's the P. And they do it for every module. And so the content that they're giving me is different every single module, but they are, you know, part of that formative assessment is they're learning from assignment to assignment, how to do that assignment better. What is the information I'm looking for? And it has all the same rubric. So I do think ways that we can provide some structure to students and structure for ourselves. Yeah, it's a lot of work right now redoing all these rubrics, but boy, my life will be a whole lot easier next time I teach this class. And again, it's making my grading. I, I did it a lot because my grading's easier yeah, and fantastic. it's helpful to the students. Yeah. Great. So we have, we have two more questions, one related to assessment, one not. So... I do want to ask this one, though, because we have talked a lot about formative assessment. And so I want to ask you, what do you do with the results of formative assessments that are less than ideal, right? You've got an online class. You've already prepped everything. I know Christina said she'll make a video to share with the class when she's got a few students who maybe have the same or a similar misunderstanding. So are there any other things that you do when you get those formative assessment results that show you that students aren't quite where they need to be and it's an online class. So you already have everything designed. I think in the longer term, those are opportunities for reflection on how the course might change in the future. So there may be ways to kind of triage it in the moment with that particular class. But I also think it's important to make notes about, you know, does the video need to be updated? Do the assignment instructions need to be updated? And I think the other thing from an assessment lens that I would mention is if the formative assessment didn't work, was it the students didn't get the content or there was a problem with the assessment? So I think you need to differentiate where the problem resides because it could be that there that you really just need to redo the assessment. I had to actually, one of the things that happened to me is I, I gave an assignment last semester and a couple of my, my early students had turned it in and I realized there were major problems with it. And I just revised it right then. And I gave the students who had already done it the opportunity to redo it if they wanted. Or I said, I'll grade you on the original rubric for it. And then I had everybody else do the revised one. So I think that, you know, thinking about, is it the content or is it the assessment is really important. Yeah, you caught it. Christina, do you want to add anything to that? No, I think what Julie said is absolutely true. Um, yeah, sometimes it's the group of students you get too, you know, and, and you have to just kind of reevaluate what's going on, what, what the reasons are behind it and what you can do to, to help. But going awesome. back to Beth, what you said about, you know, putting yourselves in the mind of the student, I also feel like in our online environments, you know, students, especially at this point with so much going on in the world, 
students are ready to move on. So I, I have a colleague who made special videos and shared them, you know, had them on YouTube and she looked and nobody was looking at them. So I think if there aren't later summative assignments that requires that, that, you know, I think faculty need to be mindful of how much time and energy they're putting in in providing some of that feedback in terms of whether the students are making use of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good point. Well, thank you. We're, we're, we're at our final question. And it's a segment that Tanisha and I talk about every time. And that is what's coming up on our radar. So we want to include the two of you does not have to be assessment related. I know, Julie, you might be sorry to hear that. Um, but um, what's on our radar is something coming up that we're excited about. So what have you got for us, Julie? Uh, so I am very excited about the fact that my oldest child, my son, turns 18 today. And so he is, well, officially an adult, um, and he will be going off to college in the fall. And so we are going to be celebrating today. And I don't know, we'll probably be celebrating for a while. So that's, that's my personal thing on my radar. It's a very exciting thing for me today. Um, and then professionally, and because I have to say something about assessment, in mid-April, mid we are going to have an assessment week event, which is basically just a time that we can talk and support people on our campus regarding assessment. So we're, your folks are here at GCC are going to be hearing about this for a handful of weeks prior to that. And then we'll be here to answer any questions that uh, folks in our community have, including if they need help writing learning outcomes, they can come to us, well, at any time or especially during that assessment week. Okay, Christina, what's on your radar? So just like Julie, my high school seniors turned 18. She actually turned 18 a couple days ago on the 25th of February. Um, so we have very similar aged kids. <laughs> it's exciting, <laughs> but scary at the same time because they'll be going off to college soon, right? So hopefully their yep. experience is as good as we think it's going to be. <laughs> I expect them, they're, they're going to do all their assessments and all their reading and all of the watching of videos and all of that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so our department already uses OER, which is Open Educational Resources for most of our lecture and lab materials. I'm currently using OpenStax and SoftChalk for my OER lectures and lab lessons. I'm always looking for other ways to deliver some of our online lab lessons. Um, it's very challenging to mimic the in-person lab experience online. And so right now, OpenStax has been working really well for us. But I am exploring ModPress, which is Maricopa Open Digital Press and H5P at the moment. So Open Education Week is March 1st through 5th. Always explore open educational resources. They're great. You can reuse and remix and make them your own and make them really fun and exciting as well. Yeah. That's awesome. We use a lot of that in the psychology department too. So I, I second that focus on OER. Mm -hmm. And the mod press is very exciting. Yes, with the H5P, because you can actually um, integrate H5P lessons just into Canvas too, if you needed to. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be through mod press. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, we've thought about are there ways to take our OpenStax textbook as well and try to increase that accountability, that formative assessment piece by having students engage with it more directly. Okay, so Tanisha, what is on your radar? 
Well, what's on my radar is the uh, 2021 Achieving the Dream virtual conference, which I attended last week. Uh, if you're not familiar with Achieving the Dream, Achieving the Dream focuses on student success. So one of the things that they, like one area of focus, they have quite a few, but one area of focus is like equity, things like um, removing the barrier of inequity in the classroom so that we can help our students to become more successful. So it was really interesting and it was all virtual. So that's always an experience as well to kind of see people online and um, kind of share ideas and uh, that we could hopefully, you know, bring to our campuses. So that's what's on my radar. Great. And I'm going to be attending the online learning consortium conference, which happens to be over spring break, which for me is good because it's been hard to attend conferences, uh, virtual conferences from home when I'm also trying to teach and go to meetings and things like that. It's just hard to really kind of get away. So even though it would be really nice to have a spring break and not do anything, I think that this will be beneficial for me. So yeah, I know people who go ahead and block their calendars as if they were traveling which I think is a great idea if you are trying to attend a virtual conference during work, regular work time. It, it really is. I know there's strategies and, and so forth. And maybe we should all be talking and sharing strategies because it's taking me a long time to just sort of learn them by myself. Yeah. Next yeah, episode. It can be, yeah, it can be how to educon online. There you go. Yeah. We could do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, Tanisha, what's our nugget? Um, So our nugget is if you are doing something fun and different for assessment, share with your peers. I would really enjoy seeing what others are doing on our campuses. Um, I didn't come up with all of my assessment ideas on my own. I learned so much by asking around and seeing what others were doing. Plus, I attended some online conferences and morphed their ideas into my own. I'd also throw in there, if you're sharing them, share them with assessment because we would love to, you know, make make wonderful lists to make available to everybody and help support assessment you know not just the scoring of assessment but the developing of assessment too how do we do that julie is there something that we can link to in the show notes for people to share um i certainly we maybe by the time we're linking to the show notes there'll be something on our gout to assessment site where people can submit their assessment ideas awesome awesome Thank you both for being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. You know, Tanisha and I love talking about teaching, learning, and other stuff. So this this fit right in. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us. And then also thank you to our listeners and for them listening to our podcast on today. Hopefully you learned something new on Two Props in a Pod. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode. If you enjoyed this conversation and want to join in, connect with us on Twitter. Follow at Two Profs in a Pod or leave a comment on our blog at twoprofsinapod.blogspot.com. Remember, spell out the number two. Other ways to show your support? Subscribe in your favorite podcast app, write a review on Apple Podcasts, or tell your colleagues about the show. Two Profs in a Pod is hosted by Beth Ayers, English faculty, and Tanisha Baca, communication faculty. 
The podcast is edited by Cheryl Colon, instructional developer, and is brought to you by the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Engagement at Glendale Community College in Arizona. 